Welcome to the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast and Community Conversation. I'm pleased to be here today, another day of Black History Month, which is every day. And today we have a very special guest, the first Black CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, Artist Stevens. And let's bring in artists right now and let's get into our conversation today. Stand by, everybody. And there he is, uh, the one and only, the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, uh, Brother Artis Stevens. Artis, good to see you today, brother. Yeah, how you doing, my friend? It's good to see you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a little messy here in Miami, but I really can't complain as I look at the, the weather map across the country. Hey, well, listen, same here in Atlanta. We're not that far apart from each other, but uh, anytime you can be in beautiful Miami, even if you're experiencing a little, little weather and traffic there, it's all good, my friend. Absolutely. Well, let me set the stage and let me give you the introduction that you certainly uh, deserve. Uh, and we're here on the Game of Life Community Conversation and Mentoring Podcast. And I'm joined by none other than the, the first Black CEO of the national organization, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, that began in 1904. So we've made some progress. We got a long way to go. Uh, but artists, you have, let me just read a little bit of your bio. I can't read all of it. It would take the whole, the whole show, brother. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, selectively uh, give everybody a little backdrop and context on you. Uh, you know, you bring 25 years of leadership in the positive youth development sector. Very diverse background in bridging innovative marketing, fundraising, and program strategies. Uh, Artists, uh, over the past six years, served as Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of National 4-H Council, leading the organization's brand positioning, alumni, and marketing campaigns, digital transformation, and local engagement efforts. Before joining 4-H, Artists served as National Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Operations at Boys and Girls Club of America, two very good organizations, but we are pleased, we are fortunate, we are blessed to have you at the helm of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, artists. My pleasure to be here, girl. And I'm glad to spend some time with you today and talking about some really important stuff. Let's get into it. You know, here we are, Black History Month, which is every day. It's not limited to a month. Black history is made daily. Uh, but you've made history. And it is not lost on me as a Black CEO within this network of so many incredible leaders, so many incredible people, uh, not only the Black leaders, but everybody that make up the Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America family. But let me just say it as clearly as I can. And one more time, the first Black CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America in 116 years. How does that feel? Well, Gail, the, the first thing I will, will say is just proud. You know, that's the first word that comes to mind for me. And there, there's a couple others, but you know, I start with proud because of what it represents and what it represents for me, you know, on a very personal level, representing my family, right? Representing uh, people who raised me and, and raised me to, to achieve for the best, to believe that I could, uh, and to always ex- ex- strive and, and to, to seek to do things to, to hopefully help to contribute to change the world. Right. That's that for me has always been something that's been on my mind since, you know, growing up in, 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 as a PK, a preacher's kid, you know, and, and, and living out my own ministry. Uh, I'll also say that it represents being thankful. I'm thankful for the village. No one gets here alone. 
right? And I, I'm under no assumptions that this has been my own path. This has been standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's giants, the people that I know, my village, the mentors, the many people who shape the person I am today, but also the, the many people that from afar, uh, the people that I've looked at, the people that have broken barriers long before me, the people who have struggled to ensure that people that look like me can get here, right? Over centuries and centuries in this country, right? No one gets here alone. We don't get here alone. And I'm here because of other folks. And then the, the last emotion I'll tell you is just a sense of resolve and commitment, right? And that is because someone helped me, I have the accountability and the responsibility to ensure that I'm helping others. And this, this, Selection is not simply about me. It's not simply about an organization. It's about every single kid out there who sees this type of achievement and says, you know what, I can do that or I can do better. I can have an opportunity to, to succeed and achieve in my own way and to break a barrier in my own way or to accomplish things in, in, in the way that I want to and the path that I want to walk. So that for me is, is what I'm most hopeful about is the inspiration that it gives to a young person to see it and know that they can achieve it and be better. Speaking of inspiration, I'll say this for the record now, and I'll say it uh, probably before I close as well. On behalf of all the CEOs, I only speak as a CEO of Miami, but I've had the pleasure of talking to some of my colleagues. And whether it's a large agency, small, medium-sized agencies, the big brothers, big sisters of America family, we welcome you. Uh, I am inspired. I've had the pleasure of spending some quality time with you. Uh, and I'm fortunate for that. And I thank you for giving me that time. And But we are in good hands. And you have, we have your back, brother. We're going to work with you side by side, shoulder to shoulder, to make sure this brand grows stronger, is bigger than ever, to make the impact that we so desperately need. So let me throw something at you. Uh, you just started, but let's talk about legacy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as a preacher's kid, let's go from Alpha to Omega, just very quickly, if you will, the beginning, the first and the last. Uh, and so having said that, uh, as you begin your leadership journey with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? At the, the best way I can explain it, Gil, is, and there is no other way for me to say it, I want the legacy of working with leaders like yourself and others across this country to create seismic change for the betterment of young people, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I mean the word seismic because the problems are big. The challenges that our country faces, our world faces are humongous, significant challenges, right? And we're in a time where our kids, our communities, they need people to step up. And we have to face some, uh, some big, humongous challenge, but we have to answer it with big solutions and innovative solutions. And we can't come small because it demands for us to come together and to come together in a large and collective way, right? So if, if I'm doing my role, right, it's doing my role knowing what the potential of this organization is. And it's not simply an organization that says, hey, we're gonna serve the kids that we serve. It's being a catalyst for communities to elevate thought, to elevate leadership, to empower young people to be the change agents in their communities and amongst their families and amongst this world, right? That's when we know that we're doing it right because we're creating something that's much more sustainable, right? So yeah, I, I, to your question, right? You don't always think about sort of the end point when you're sort of right here at the beginning, but it's a really powerful question. But for me, it's always been part of what, what I feel purpose is and ministry is. And purpose and ministry is that 
hopefully you're leaving this world in a better place than where you found it, right? And that's to me is where from this organization, I wanna create a long lasting, sustainable seismic change and impact that continues to have a lasting effect on young people. But it's not me alone. It, it's this village of, of so many committed leaders in the, the Big Brothers, Big Sisters family that I believe we have the potential to bring others and, and gather that and do the success work that we need for young people. We absolutely do. And thank you for that. And, you know, you've heard the, the statement begin with the end in mind and seismic shift significance, really looking at all the things we can do together. Uh, and we, we, when we coin phrases at Big Brothers, Big Sisters, we mean it bigger together. And that's exactly who we are and what we can do. And we can, uh, as we talk about humanity uh, and speaking of humanity, uh, so much going on in our country. So many things in 2020 that really opened a lot of people's eyes, but in some cases just really reinforced what many people have, you know, like you and me, have seen, experienced personally, uh, but it also gives us the opportunity. And I have been told personally, I have heard others uh, make the statement that Big Brothers, Big Sisters, well, I thought that was a white organization. Uh, and I kind of was taken aback when I first heard it, uh, artists, but when for those who feel that way or may still think that way, what's your response? Well, my first sort of place is, yeah, I always want people to unpack and, 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 and interpret uh, things for me. So here's probably the way I would look at that and, and even, even that statement, right? The, the, the soul of this organization is always about its mission and the communities and the young people it serves, right? When you look at this organization, 70%, over 70% of the kids they're served come from BPOC communities, right? Communities of color, right? When we look at where the challenge of facing and addressing where, whether it's been our pandemic, whether even before the pandemic, you know, economic struggle, struggles, education disparities, health disparities and health inequities, right? What's go going on in terms of trauma? These things disproportionately affect communities of color. And what we see and what we understand in this area is that more than anything, it takes the type of both prevention and intervention, right? Because a lot of times when you talk about youth development or mentoring or youth, everybody loves to talk about the prevention side, right? But the, the, the challenging piece, piece, piece is where you go into intervention. That means the young people who have faced some type of struggle and adversity in terms of facing maybe even the juvenile justice system or facing things that are much worse, right? Those are the harder young people sometimes to reach. But what I think about this organization, the Providence organization, is that it goes there. And unfortunately, we find that too often in communities of color. And this, this organization is the organization that more than any other organization is going deep and uh, impact and thinking about the outcomes and building the types of relationships to ensure that we're making change there. So that's one thing. But here's the second thing I would say to that. The second thing is, there's probably a reason why people believe that, right? And we have to be, we have to be honest and we have to face truth. And I was on a, a call earlier when I was talking about the ugly truth of our country, right? We can't shy away from what, what systemic racism, uh, systemic inequities, injustices has done to our country. And you find that in every organization, not, not just in certain communities, they're in every community, not just in one organization, and they're in every organization. And you found even in organizations like ours, and I've talked about this before in nonprofit space, 
over years and years and years, there's been a ceiling where leadership and, and entry into staff and entry into volunteerism and some of the in, uh, structural things that prevent uh, people of color entering into uh, both volunteer perspective and also professional development and professional pers uh, perspective, being able to enter into uh, this, these types of organizations and to grow in these types of organizations and to thrive. We have to face that, we have to talk about it, we have to have the uncomfortable conversations. That is something that's lived within this organization It's something that this organization's committed to change. So when you talked earlier, you asked me the question about representation, about my selection. That's just, that's one step. It's not the silver bullet, it's one step. Because when you have people at the table and you're creating perspective and then you say, you know what? Just like I'm doing right now, it's not all right. We do have to do things with our board so that the top level of our leadership is reflected as a diverse community and it's reflective of our country and our staff and the volunteers that we recruit and the ways that we think about our practices and our principles and the work that we do in terms of being a, a Jedi, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusive organization. That has to be intentionality. So for those who say the, the, the aspects of being a white organization, I would dispute that in terms of the mission we serve, but I would embrace to have the conversation about the things we have to do to continue to better ourselves so that we build a type of perspective that we are the most inclusive, most diverse, most equitable, most social justice oriented youth development and youth empowerment organization in this country. There it is. And when you think about humanity, that's exactly what we need. We need to be in a room where it happens. It took 116 years to get the first black CEO within our organization. So you are the first, but you won't be the last brother, but you have absolutely, uh, you know, again, the, the ceiling. I mean, in terms of women and all populations, we are here. And this organization, again, I'm gonna go old school on you a little bit, artists. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. Uh, and having said, that's not a Gail Nelson original, brother. I throw all kinds of stuff. I love stuff it. Here. I love it. <laughs> but having said that, you know, having the intentional conversations. Uh, and when I was, when that statement came to me, I said, no. I said, yeah, the face of the organization has not been as diverse. The face of leadership has not been as diverse as it needs to be. But the bottom line across this country and so many communities from the large urban uh, sectors to the rural sectors as well. We got dedicated folks who are promoting humanity. So a shout out to every single big brothers, big sisters, leader, uh, the, your staff, the boards, who, the donors who make it possible for us to do what we do every single day. But when it comes to social justice, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, artists, uh, the big little match. And the reason I say the big little match, as opposed to, I'm going to tee this up with a little bit of a statement in that, when people look at big brothers, big sisters, and I've even heard us internally do this sometimes, and we have made that, that correction, where we look at the big is, quote unquote, saving a child. No, sir. No, ma'am. Our kids, our littles don't need to be fixed. Our littles aren't in need of, quote unquote, saving. They need to be, we, we ignite the power and promise artists. And that's what I love about our brand. And so the power of one person mentoring, it changes two lives. It changes two lives. You've heard it, artists, and you've been with us a short time, but I know you've heard it in that these big say to us, I'm getting a lot. Of, I've learned so much. I am growing as a person. So having said that, the big little match is a powerful thing. And so let's talk about mentoring and how it's personally impacted you. You are 
our CEO, our national CEO. And I know you've had a number of mentors in your life. And I certainly extend my deepest condolences to you and your family on the recent loss of your father, who I know was a tremendous mentor in your life, brother. So I, I mean, I, I send that, I send our deepest condolences to you. Talk to us about your leadership journey and how mentoring has played a role personally and professionally. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you, Gail, just even listening, listening to you, I, I can only, I, I, I probably can't even imagine the number of people you've impacted and mentored uh, in your life, right? You're, you're a walking inspiration, my friend. And, and that's what it's about, right? It, it's, it's inspiring kids. You mentioned that word igniting, right? Which is, which is that the inherent and innate potential is already there, right? You're, you're not planning, you're not saving, you're not putting anything that's already not there, right? What you're doing is helping to grow and cultivate it and bring it out, right? Through the relationship and the positive relationship. And, and, and here's the thing. We also know that mentors come in all different types of backgrounds, shapes, shapes sizes, looks, designs, right? Um, and, and we need a lot of them, right? And that's the, that's the benefit. And, 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 and I say that because that's what my life was like. My mentorship was powerful one-on-one relationships. And those powerful one-on-one relationships were all part of my village, was all part of my communities. And they touched me at different places in my life. They connected with me at different places in my life. You mentioned my dad, right? My mom and my dad were very proud. I had it in the household. Not everyone has that, right? Not everyone has those types of moments and those types of connections uh, in, in their household. And we have to acknowledge that. And, and, and the beauty of what we do is sometimes they have it, sometimes it needs to even be supplemented, right? So sometimes we think that because someone has even two great parents or two great mentors, like they don't need mentoring. You still need mentorship because you need mentorship in different ways. Uh, my mom and my dad, they hadn't gone to college. I needed the mentor of someone who could help expose me to that. So as great mentors personally in my home, they introduced me to people that give me exposure. They took me to youth development organizations. I saw big brothers and big sisters, mentors coming in and out of, of, of my youth programs uh, every week, right? I was able to see things in my coaches that got me thinking about certain things that I hadn't thought about before because it wasn't around in my community. So this idea of going to college and, and studying and getting these degrees, people started talking to things that talking about things that my mom and my dad absolutely seated in me, but they gave me certain levels of exposure and access. So the idea of mentorship is something that I embraced early on because I had people in my lives that, like my life, that helped to encourage me, to nourish me, to nudge me. And that continued from the standpoint of that place to the idea of my, my career journey and having powerful mentors that helped me to make every transition in life. And I will tell you this, there's not one opportunity, not one job opportunity that I've entered in that wasn't because of the inspiration of a mentor either access, connection, uh, encouragement, that some level and some journey. But here's the kicker. Here's what I will tell you most importantly. Mentorship is not a one-way relationship. Mentorship can't simply be the idea of somebody helping you, right? Mentorship is the idea of two people connecting with each other. And you said something earlier, which I think is really important because a lot of people think about the big brothers, big sisters model. And of course, where you immediately go because we're a youth serving organization is the young people that are impacted. I would guess, I would estimate to say that the adults who are involved in these programs 
are just as much or even more impacted in terms of their journey. So there's a reciprocal effect. It is, and you get that both from the sense of what you do, but also just the amazing, amazing talent and skill and, and ability of these young people. So the, the, when I look at this, this program, I look at this mentoring model, it is so unique and so distinguishable because like, unlike any other youth development organization, it is one where there's both youth mentorship, but there's also adult mentorship that is going on because the youth are inspiring and mentoring adults in various and different ways. So that's a little bit about my story, but it, it just brings me to the fact of how powerful this model is and why it needs to be scaled even more for more kids and for more communities in this country. And thank you for that, artist. And where were you when, I know where I was, I was with my family when I got to call. When I was hired here at Big Brothers, which is Miami, literally we were coming uh, from church service. I was driving I-75 South and a shout out to my sister, Lydia Muniz, who hired me here. Uh, Big Brother the Tissus of Miami. And so I got the call. I know exactly where I was in my car. And I said, hey, daddy's got a job. And so again, I was you know, making a transition from one youth serving organization here to Big Brothers Big Sisters. The same thing you have done. So where were you, brother, if you were willing to share? Yeah. I was come on, when I got the call? Yes. Yeah. I was actually in my living room watching TV with my fam. So we we were, yeah. We were all huddled up and um, I got in a call and I was uh, sitting there and, I, and I, I was on a call. I wasn't on speakerphone, but I was on a call and my, my wife and my two girls, they just saw this big smile on my face. Right. And then I just saw them smiling because everyone knew what this call was. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then once I hung up, you know, everyone just got up and started dancing. I mean, we just literally got up and started dancing because we were so excited. Uh, about the opportunity. And, and that's what I will tell you, Gail, that I feel inside right now. I'm just dancing, right? I'm dancing because I know what this, this means for, for, for all of us, right? Not, not some personal way for me. I know what this means in the sense of going to the next phase of our journey uh, as an organization and why that's so critically important. And, and I'll say this again, because I, I think it's so important to be said that when you're, you know, no, no one enters this dance alone, right? You, when, you in, when you're in this dance, it takes the types of partners that all of our agency leaders have on the ground. It takes committed boards, right? Volunteers who are giving up their time, who are coming in to open doors for resources, access, additional fundraising. So this important mission uh, can be funded and invested in. It takes parents. It takes parents who are saying, hey, yep, I'm gonna make the commitment for my kid to be in this program. And I'm gonna be the type of parent that ensures and trusts this organization to, to cultivate, to grow my most precious asset, right? That's a relationship, that's a build and that's trust. And it takes someone in the center, a nucleus in the center. And that's what these agents, these incredible agency staff who work, who work and who work to ensure that they are on the front line serving young people, looking out for their best interests, seeing the holistic sense of their families, the things that are going on in communities, and most importantly, that never stop being an advocate for kids and what's most important for them. No doubt about it. <clears throat> I couldn't say that any better. Well, well stated. And again, the beauty of family, and I love how on some of your social posts, you put a picture of you and your beautiful family, because that's what mentoring is all about. And we've been in the communities 
Let me say it again. You know, we're here on the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast and Community Conversation with our national president and CEO, Artist Stevens, uh, the first Black uh, CEO and Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. And we, we hit that not only because of Black History Month, but the history that we continue to make in the social justice space. Ernest Coulter, court clerk, founder of Big Brothers Big Sisters, wanted to prevent kids from going into the juvenile justice system. So again, I got to quote LL one more time. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. And so artists, as we think about social justice and how it is so important that we as an organization, as we said in our last live national conference, talking about DEI, you know, talking about the Jedi space, we cannot be a taxi in an Uber world, if you will. And so we can't be left behind. We have to make sure that we do as much as we can and be, become even more significant in the social justice space. So having said that, what more can we do? And as you begin your leadership journey, as you mentioned, in the social justice space? Yeah, I'm gonna go back to what you said about Ernest Kohler, right? Because I think that's important for, for your question. And what you said that was so important, Gil, was that here was an idea that was created. And the idea was created, when you really think about it, it was an idea that was based upon innovation, right? There was a current system and a current structure that was going on at that time in terms of how you address and how you deal with young people. And then here was this person who said, I think we can do it different. I think there's a different way that we can go about serving and helping young people. And you know what? We have to meet them where they are, right? It can't be the idea of bringing them into this, this juvenile uh, justice or juvenile court system and thinking that's gonna solve our problems because it's not. And we had already seen that it's not working. So we have to think innovatively and meet kids where they are and think about how we give them voice and give them empowerment to help support their own development, their growth, and where this country ultimately goes. Think about that. That is, when I, when I use that word seismic, that's a seismic idea to change a model and to really reinvent a model. And that's social justice at its best, right? Because it was going to the young people who needed it the most. You fast forward 116 years later. Now look at our country, as we talked about earlier, right? And look at our model and look at the things that we're doing. Mentoring is not, is not any less powerful, not any less important. It's, it's more important. It's more powerful. It's more needed than it ever before. But the need for kids is more powerful, more greater. It's more needed than ever before. So then the question becomes is how do we meet the need with a mission that's going to be reflective of how great the need is? That's where we have to meet kids where they are. That's where we have to understand the environment and the climate that we're in today. We are, we've always been a social justice organization. This is not about becoming a Jedi organization. It's, we're already there. We've been that for 116 years. The real question is, how do we ensure that that is staying relevant to where the climate is today, to where kids are today, that we're continuing to innovate in creative ways? So when you ask me that question, I'll say to you that it means some fundamental things. It means fundamentally that we live, breathe, and operate and will grow for, with our people, 
That means that our people have to be trained, developed, coached, supported, and empowered to do their job. And that takes capacity, right? That takes capacity, that takes support, that takes ensuring that our people are reflective of the communities that they serve and the kids that they're connecting with. It means that we're creating the type of environment that allows for us to ensure that we're telling the most uh, uh, unique and compelling story about the work that we're doing. It means proving towards the outcomes that we create and ensuring that those outcomes are continuing to be developed. It also means to look at our model, right? There's no model that can't be looked at to say, how do we expand it? How do we create it in ways that's gonna allow more young people, more volunteers to become a part of it? It doesn't mean losing the soul and the essence of it. It does mean ensuring that that soul and essence is being connected to people in different ways to meet them where they are. Going back to my ministry, I always remember my dad used to always say, hey, we can't just sit in the church and expect that everybody's gonna come in here to us. We gotta get out on the streets, right? We gotta get out to where the people are and to be able to minister in that way, right? And the same thing you look at the ministry of Big Brothers Big Sisters is being a, a, a unique social justice organization that empowers young people, right? And I wanna be unique with that, right? Because we don't have to be the NAACP, we're not. We're not National Urban League, we're not but we should be partnering because we have a voice from the standpoint of young people and perspective of young people and how we empower them. So when you ask me, what are the ways that we're gonna think about it? We're gonna always start with our people. We're gonna always start with the idea of putting young people first and at the center of the work that we do. We're gonna always start with the sense of ensuring that it's about empowerment because it's not about saving, it's about empowerment, it's about igniting. And it's about ensuring that we have the outcomes that talk about our success so that we can get the type of investment, support, volunteers, alumni that we need back into this great movement so that we can affect and impact more kids because we have the capacity to do so. You get me hype, artist. It doesn't take much to get me hyped up, brother. And I'm about to say, you're already there, buddy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to not get out of my seat right now, but thank you for that. And I hope as we, because we're going to have, you know, again, littles across the nation saying this and it's making sure this link goes to everybody so that people can understand you, the person, the leader. Uh, and as, as I think about the investment, the impact investment in big brothers, big sisters, no matter where you are, and to invest in our national organization, as we think about the need for partnership, I love how you differentiate it, but also include it national organizations, civil rights organizations that have been on the on the front lines for, for well over a century. Uh, and having said that, we need corporate partners, municipal partners, you know, uh, social organizations getting with us, making sure that we work together because we don't, you don't lose uh, any value in your brand. Actually, your brand gets stronger in partnership with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. And so I'm just so pleased with uh, the social justice stance, and with all the events of 2020. And I'm out of respect for your time. I'm going to give you one more question, brother. And I appreciate, I could talk to you all day. We made it to do a, you know, on Juneteenth, I did an all day conversation and I included some of our leaders around the country. We need to do that. Shout out to my man, Marcus and Philly, uh, CEO. Shout out to Kwame in Atlanta, CEO. And my sister, Janine in Detroit, Alicia in New York. I know people are going to say, why didn't you call my name? Yeah, Renee in Iowa. And again, the reason I called all those names, because on Juneteenth, 
of last year, June 19th, I did an all-day community conversation podcast, and I included some of the brothers and sisters who look just like us in a conversation on race relations. So much investment, and I saw the corporate reactionary investments in 2020, we need to do something. And I just submit to everybody listening, and I submit to you as our new CEO that this impact investment with Big Brothers Big Sisters is not just a, it shouldn't be reactionary. It should be an impact investment that's sustainable, multi-year, because the results speak for themselves. Having said that, uh, artists, as our brand new CEO, from Georgia. Now, where'd you grow up in Georgia? I know that, give me the city. Brunswick, Georgia. Now, how big is Brunswick, Georgia? Uh, it's a mid-sized town. It's not that big at all. Yeah, mid-sized, I like the way you said mid-sized. <laughs> <laughs> so from, from it's not Miami, how about that? <laughs> Thank you, brother, I mean, mid-sized, I like that. That was, that was good, you're gonna do well, brother. So, uh, Brunswick, Georgia, you know, again, uh, growing up, recognizing and embracing family. And certainly, I'm sure artists, and I'll go ahead and ask the question, I'll be surprised if it's a no, but I will accept whatever answer you give because I know it's from the heart. Have you faced racism in your life? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Was the, talk about it. Just give me a brief out. When was the first time you just recognized it? Whoa. Well, yeah, I'll, have I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the first time I recognized it because it was, it was I wrote about this um, right after Ahmaud Aubrey. By the way, Ahmaud Aubrey. Uh, that happened in Brunswick, Georgia. He was from Brunswick, right? So um, just making all the connections here, right? That mid-sized town. And that, that's just to say, Gail, it goes everywhere, right? Small town, midtown, big town. So there is no place. And I'll get back to your question, but I just want to make sure I, I, I speak to this. We all have a responsibility, right? That, and, and that's why I think it's so important when we say the idea of being a Jedi organization, this is not about just being a Black organization, right? Uh, it's about all of us, right? It's about all of us. It's about the diversity of who we are, right? Because the same uh, black kid who can't get access to, to X, Y, and Z, there may be another circumstances where a kid who's from the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community can get access in the way that they need to. It may be different, but it's still a point of access and opportunity. Or the same kid who may be in a rural community and growing up in a rural community and in the scene in a certain light, or may not be able to, to, to grow and prosper in their community in the way that they want to. It may be different. There may be different things in different circumstances, but there's still a question of access to some level or degree uh, in terms of kids. We have to be able to see diversity and the, the, the sense of what we wanna to do to create a more inclusive environment in all ways and in all connection points, right? And being a Jedi organization means understanding that, being focused to that. This also means that when you look at the issues of something like race, that everyone has a part in it, not just because you're black, but when you look at the streets that happened and the, the protests on the streets that happened right after George Floyd in particular, you know, they were all races, they were all backgrounds, they were all experiences. So I think we have to be sure that we talk about this framing in terms of allyship, that we talk about all the people that it takes to ensure that we make change in the country, because you can't change people if you don't have people in certain communities also talking about it and having conversations around it as well. It takes all those parties to be part of it. So I just wanna make sure I call that out uh, as well. And, and, and just on the experience piece, I'll just say this, that my first introduction 
was when my, my brother went out uh, to get a drink, uh, a soda pop. He was 13 years old uh, from the corner grocery. And the corner grocery had just been robbed maybe about, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, an hour or something before. No, it was about an hour before. He, he goes out. Uh, the suspect who they were looking for was a black male. But look, when I say the description was almost the exact opposite of what my brother looks like, it couldn't be more different. Uh, but there my brother was standing uh, with four police officers pointing guns at him, right? And at that moment, you know, he could have ran. And, you know, there would have been a whole different scenario, a whole different circumstance uh, happening at that point. But I believe God spoke to him and God just said, rest your soul right there, right? And ultimately, he made his way home. And that story turned out and unfolded differently. But what it led to was this real conversation we had to have in our family, we had to have in our, our church home, we had to have in amongst our broader community about the profiling that was going on at that point in time in our community uh, by law enforcement. Um, and it wasn't this whole concept of that there being, oh, bad law enforcement. There was the concept of there being people who did things the right way and people who decided to do things the wrong way. And we had to have a really strong conversation in our community about systemically what was taking place and what was happening. I was seven years, I think seven or eight years old when that started happening. My dad had to sit down with me and talk to me about what happens when I walk out of my house and what I need to do and how I need to do it. When I walk and when I don't walk, what time I had to be at home at night if I was playing outside. It was my first recognition that I was different, right? I couldn't do exactly everything that other kids could do because I was being looked at differently and I had to adjust to that. So that was my recognition of race and that was my recognition of racism as well because all of those things hit at me at the, the same time. I was fortunate because I had great mentors who helped to coach me through and it just reinforces the point that we're talking about here, Gail. When you face trauma, when you face uncertain situations, sometimes what you need most importantly in your life is a God and someone to help guide you through. It just speaks to the power of this work and the work that Big Brothers Big Sisters does every single day to ensure that every kid has that type of God. Well, what gives me hope is who's at the helm of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. And you are not alone. Uh, it will be long, leadership is lonely, but when leaders fail to listen, they fail to lead. And you came in listening. You will continue to listen, I know, We've talked about it as you meet the, the respective CEOs and board leaders around this country. And I just want to thank you and welcome you and congratulate you again on making history, but the Black history and the history we make, the impact we make every single day is together. Uh, you touched on it to all the allies out there. Thank you to all the, to all the leaders to the donors, to the volunteers that come from all walks of life, all walks of life. Thank you for being in the mentoring family with Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Artists, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Uh, the future is bright because we got someone that's truly shining the light on the impact that we can make one to another. So thank you, you for being with me today. And listen, I also have to say before we close here, I want to thank you for continuing to be a voice, a strong advocate in the work that we do. 
absolutely in the work that you're doing and, and Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Miami is doing. Uh, you are a, a preeminent leader in that community, uh, a voice uh, to always be heard on behalf of young people. You're making significant, when I talk about seismic change, brother, you are a seismic change maker. And the other thing I would say is not just limited to Miami, but the role that you're playing in the broader Big Brothers, Big Sisters movement nationally uh, is to be applauded. And I can't wait to partner with you, my friend, and continue to hold up the light and support and serve more young people. Thank you, my friend. It's my pleasure. We're going to raise money. We're going to raise volunteers and we're going to strengthen, strengthen, strengthen. So all the best to you artists. Stay warm. What's the temperature in, in GA before we close up? Uh, right now we are about at 65. Okay. It's a little chilly there. So we're, we're holding steady at about 75 right now. Oh my so goodness. Stay warm, brother. All the best to you. Thank you so much, artists. All right. Take, take care, care, my friend. Bye now. Bye. Are we finished recording, Gail? Here we are. I need to take a breath after that incredible, incredible interview uh, with our national CEO, Artist Stevens. And I'm taking a two minute break and we're coming back with Dr. Phyllis Scott, Barry University, Dean Barry University School of Social Work. So two minute break, I'll be right back. Let's go.
We're back on the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast Community Conversation. I'm your host, Gail Nelson, President and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Miami. We celebrate Black history every single day. I was fortunate, privileged, honored to have our national CEO, Mr. Artis Stevens, that was with me earlier. As you think about Black history, as you think about just mentoring, uh, the cost of doing nothing is far too high. And as we think about social justice today, as you look at what's behind me, stand with us against prejudice, bigotry, racism, injustice, and discrimination. It takes all of us. You see these beautiful kids on the screen with me. These kids come from all backgrounds. And we are thankful to be in the midst of progress, in the midst of helping these kids have their potential ignited and empowered and supported. So let's bring in my next guest. And I want you to know that my next guest comes to us from none other than Barry University. And it's Dr. Phyllis Scott, Dean of the Barry University School of Social Work. So please join me in welcoming none other than Dr. Phyllis Scott. Let's go. The good doctor, Dr. Scott, how are you today? I'm good, Dale, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. I wanna just, uh, again, give you the introduction that you deserve, my dear sister. Uh, I'm Gail Nelson, the host and present CEO of the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast. And I am now joined uh, by Dr. Phyllis Scott. I'll give you a little bit. I can't read your whole bio, sister. I'm sorry, we don't have enough time. It's okay, to go don't worry about it. All that you have done, but I need to just share a few tidbits here to give everybody some context. Uh, okay. Dr. Phyllis Scott joined Barry University as an associate professor in the School of Social Work in 2001. Uh, you became, in 2004, she became the Master of Social Work Program Director, followed by Associate Dean in 2008, and currently serves as the Dean of the School of Social Work at Barry University. And so I'm just pleased to have you with us, uh, Dr. Scott, and I just want you to just tell us to, so that everybody gets some context on you over and above the brief bio that I shared, uh, this, tell us about your personal leadership journey. Okay, Dale. Um, my journey as a Black woman has really taught me a lot. Um, from the times that I worked in county government um, and in state government, I've had many times to look into the mirror and I've seen things that I did not like and to some extent, I still see some things that I do not like, uh, but I'm working on it. But this journey has taught me more about being self-aware of my own strengths, what energizes me, what challenges me, and what can derail me. And throughout my leadership career or journey, I have oftentimes been derailed but I had to continue to develop my emotional intelligence so that I can not only manage my emotions, but also to know and manage others. I had to learn to process stressful events, mm -hmm. release the negative emotions and ultimately learn how to deal with them in a healthy manner. Our physical and emotional well-being is a key driver of our energy that we bring to the workplace, whether it's with state government, county government, or with Barry University and the School of Social Work. 
the positive emotions and inspiration we feel as leaders greatly impact our team and how they see themselves and what they can accomplish. So challenges focused uh, me on the need to pay attention to my own professional growth. Uh, oftentimes we start out when we face challenges, we start out actually uh, blaming others and finding excuses, if you will. Um, and that's natural and leaders do do that. That's a part of being human. But in assessing challenges over the years, it taught me about the challenges that I'm facing, not only externally, but internally and how I deal with those challenges. And as a black woman, I had to learn um, more about what it means to be black, how beautiful it is to be black, how enlightening it is to be black, and to know that you're here for a purpose and a purpose that you will in fact fulfill. So that's about my leadership journey. I'll tell you what, I just, I mean, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of jazz and, you know, there's, there's no saxophone, uh, that I don't like hearing and just listening to you sister was like smooth jazz. That may be your nickname. I may call you the quiet storm. So we'll get back to that. <laughs> so thank you. For, thank you for sharing that, uh, Dr. Scott. And it's, and again, we mentioned that you are the Dean of the Barry University School of Social Work. And as we think about, you know, the, from an educational perspective, and I want you to teach us today and take us to class, Doc, uh, in terms of social justice. What does social justice mean from an educational and social perspective? I'll start by saying um, discrimination, racism, and oppressive systems are not compatible with social justice. And based on the principle of social justice, social justice cannot be achieved in the absence of human rights, mm -hmm. access, participation, and equity. Social justice is about the extent to which fairness is manifested in our society. It is about healthcare, access to healthcare, um, to food, not waiting in long lines to receive the bare necessities. It is about decent housing, employment, education, voting rights, and active participation, all of which is not restricted based on the color of your skin or gender or religion or ethnicity or even one's own sexual orientation. Social justice is not about maintaining, as Wilkerson would describe, a caste system that systematically relegates one to the basement of society. No child should have to worry when and from where their next meal will come. A father should not have to worry about whether or not he can keep his family warm in um, the cold winters. A mother should not have to worry about the health of a baby that she's carrying or an elderly woman or man worrying about how they're going to pay for their medication. Poverty is one of the most visible signs of social injustice. 
It preys upon our soul and deprives one of their dignity and respect. Throughout this nation, we see the power of social injustices. We see it in our communities that we've labeled marginalized. We see it in our prisons and in our schools um, where segregation still exists. Our workforce, our health conditions such as diabetes and hypertension, obesity. But social justice is not a new term, Dale. And the conditions brought on by social injustice is not new. In social work, we actually believe one's rights are one's rights. And those rights should be protected and respected. And the violation of one right leads to the disregard and violation of other rights. In social justice, equity yields equality. Mm. While the impact of social justice may be ignored by some or recognized by others, and it's decided that mm, that's the fault of those that are depressed, it is not a justifiable condition. Our foundation as a society is weakened by injustices that prevail and the bigotry that strips one of his dignity, of his respect, of his ambition. It casts a shadow over the beauty that exists. Social justice acknowledges the power of resilience and it gives rise to the collective action that can redefine how we build a society, a society that is fair and just, a society that does not have a basement, a society that says everyone has a voice and that voice is indeed respected. That's what social justice is. And in the hallways and in the classrooms of higher education, we need to help our students understand the power of social justice and their power so that they can unleash that power and begin to transform a society that has lived in darkness too long. Speaking of too long, it's 2021. How far have we come in the social justice space or shall I say the social justice continuum? Because I think progress has been made, but let's be clear. 2021, and sadly, we're still dealing with some of the same issues that took place decades ago. Talk to us. Well, Dell, you have answered her, your own question. Because across the world today, especially in uh, 2020 and in 2021, we've all witnessed um, the unjust that has impacted the lives of Black people uh, throughout this country. It's disgraceful, it is shameful. And this awareness actually sparked uh, movements across the globe. People are now standing and they're fighting for social justice. Um, but there have been movements for social justice uh, forever in our history. The women's uh, movement in terms of voting rights, our labor movement, in terms of safe working conditions and scores of black freedom movements. In fact, since 1619, black people have been fighting for their freedom from the first time that we landed ashore in Virginia. 
Um, this is when the power of resilience and allyship actually uh, come into play. It's not necessarily how far we have come. It's actually <laughs> how far do we have to go? And I say it is a very long and rugged struggle we have ahead of us. Over 300 years, as you've said, we are still wearing shackles. We need to rebuild Jack's house, a house that allows all human beings, regardless of cover, color or gender, to move to any room in that house they choose. So yes, we have come quite a ways because we have found that the power of allyship is strong. Our corporations are now beginning to say, wait a minute, we can do something about this. Well, those corporate corporations, institutions of higher education, our entire educational system and our social justice system need to hold America accountable. We need to be held accountable for the injustices that we continue to perpetuate. So I say again, this house that Jack built, it needs to be rebuilt. And it will take all of us to do that. As we think about our children in the future, you know, again, we're here on the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast and Community Conversation with Dr. Phyllis Scott, Dean, School of Social Work from the Barry University, a partner with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Mine. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But our littles, the kids who are mentored, you talk about resilience. And I love the fact that you mentioned if you overcome any trial, tribulation, affliction, or injustice, you better be resilient because resilience, uh, the effects and the impact of resilience lead to success. And our littles are resilient. And as I think about our bigs and our littles and mentoring's role in building and really leveraging the, the resilience that's inherent in our children, how do we talk to our children about dealing with the reality? Because our children are growing up at a time now where you may not see the visible sign, white, black only, but there are systemic challenges. So how do we talk to our, our children about dealing and combating racism? The first thing I think we all need to do, and especially as adults, is that uh, we need to be constant in educating ourselves. Um, you know, it is easy for us as adults, especially um, those who have um, seemed to have accomplished some of their life goals. It is easy for us to actually forget the shackles that we still wear. So the conversations that we need to have with our children are the conversations that are authentic. They need to be honest, they need to be open, and they need to be able to help that child reflect. We, we don't have conversations that much anymore around the dinner table. We don't have uh, the kinds of conversations we do when we are watching television with our children and pointing out different things that are happening so that they are aware that they too were born in a world and they too wear shackles that were put on them at no fault of their own. So as adults and as educators, 
we have to first be honest. We have to commit ourselves to self-educating ourselves, know the facts of our history and know that even though we may in fact see ourselves as being able to drive anywhere we want to, go anywhere we want to. I remember when um, I was in college and we were on our way home in a car and we stopped at a, a, a service station because all of us had to get gas and we had to use the restroom. We were denied, we were in the middle of nowhere, almost on empty, and we were denied that right. Now that may not happen today, but it is veiled. Racism is veiled in a way that is very difficult to discern at times. But more and more society is given persons who are bigots the right to discriminate against openly. So for our little ones, I say that this past year has been a great challenge for them. And they have been strong and they have been, you know, blessed actually to have persons like you, Dale, and, and the big brothers and sisters that mentor them. But we must help them to understand the challenge that is before them. We cannot color coat this. And we must let them know that they can never stop learning. Let that challenge make them uh, the champion that they are destined to be. They have to be constantly self-aware. They have to have self-respect and honor, and they have to respect and honor the rights of others. And they cannot let anyone put them in a position where they would disrespect themselves or disrespect others. Mm. Social justice is the responsibility of everyone, regardless of your age or color. So our little ones need to take on the responsibility of also fighting for social justice, but more importantly, knowing when they see it. Hmm. As we collaborate, as we partner in society, I'm humble to be, and I've shared this with you off a line that, you know, as the product of a beautiful black woman raised two boys on her own in inner city Toledo, Ohio, and I'm her baby boy. And for me to uh, every day, uh, I literally mean every day, seek to combat any type of injustice, uh, every day seeking to work for the kids, uh, not on behalf, but, you know, really working uh, with and for our children. See that paradigm? I mean, it, you know, the, it, that's intentional. Mm -hmm. With and for. Because when people say, well, you know, let me help this charity. No, no, hold on. These kids are well, those poor little kids in that bad neighborhood. See, there, that's, that's, mess that's systemic messaging. It may be coming from a source of no ill intent, but think about what we say about our children. And if a child hears that, you poor little charity case from a bad neighborhood. You're not building up a child's confidence with that. That's so right. I work with and for our children and they have the confidence, the ability and the talent to do anything they want, having said that. But you know, you uh, but you know, Dale, excuse me. Um, one of the things that you're saying, everything you're saying is important, but one thing really stood out and that's the microaggressions that our students are subjected to. And, these implicit biases 
whether they have good intent or not, they have a definite impact on our littles. And we have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful of the power of microaggressions and how it can deflate, you know, the happiest child, you know, in a classroom or on a playground or even practicing football or basketball. We have to be so conscious of what we say. And we have to challenge those who use microaggressions, whether it's intentional or unintentional. It has to stop. Here, here, no question at all. And allyship, mentorship, partnership uh, will certainly lead to productive citizenship. And having said that, a uh, very special thank you to Dr. Mike Allen, Michael Allen and the Barry University leadership team. And most recently, as you well know, was on campus, had the privilege and pleasure of announcing and signing a formal partnership with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Miami and Barry University. And these are not just words on paper. The focus clearly uh, rests with mentorship, workforce development, and social justice and helping our young people, our littles, as they graduate from high school, matriculate to post-secondary education, wherever that may be. Mm -hmm. Inclusive of Barry, but our kids, uh, the world is theirs. That's right. Having heard and now that you are a part of this incredible uh, partnership, what would you like to see uh, from this collaboration? And be as specific, and not that you haven't been, uh, as you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, when I think about that question, I have been a part of many, many memorandums of understanding, collaborative events and partnerships. And I've seen, and I'm glad that you made the comment that this is just not on paper. And I believe that. Um, having met you, knowing your commitment um, to social justice, and knowing um, Dr. Allen's commitment to social justice. Um, the mission of the university embraces social justice and inclusion. Um, what I really hope that these two very influential partners achieve is what is said in the document and what is in our hearts, what is in our intent. And our intent then have, will have the impact that we all want. And that is creating greater access, greater opportunity for our littles to grow, to be a model of how higher education and a community-based organization can work together to collectively pull their strengths and their talents and their knowledge and their time and devote that to creating beautiful pathways that would lead our littles to success. Um, it serves as an opportunity uh, for other organizations to understand the power of collaboration. We are in this together. We cannot achieve the massive achievements that need to occur if in fact, we think that we are all that. None of us are all that. Right. We are only all that if it's we are all that. And so from this partnership, um, Barry University will in fact 
be able to live out its mission. We will honor truth and knowledge. We will honor collaboration, which is centered to our core commitments. And having this partnership says, we can do this. We can do this as a team and we can advance the opportunities for success for our littles. And even as educators, we can learn. And I think that is most powerful. What I find so powerful is, and thank you for that, uh, Dr. Scott. And it's, as I think about when I came on campus and met Dr. Allen and you were in the room, I mean, or shall I say under the tent in a socially distant uh, luncheon on campus. <laughs> and I made it clear that we don't want just another piece of paper. Yeah. We don't want to just have something for the file and for a grant and says, we have a partnership. That happens too much. Let me be clear. That happens too much in, right. in social services. Mm -hmm. it, way too often. Compliance without commitment. Mm -hmm. Compliance without the true compassion that these kids need. And mm -hmm. having said that, and literally weeks uh, from that moment where Dr. Allen made that commitment, I made a commitment. Our team, respective teams, were at the table. And here we are. And we've already been on campus, and I'm happy to report over 40 faculty and staff have signed up to get in the space of mentoring, four zero. And so certainly, uh, it's funny that number 40 in the space of civil rights, the 40 is not an insignificant number in terms, well, it was what was deemed significant, here's 40 acres and, and a mule, but at the end of the day, as we think about where we are and where we're going, uh, this is just getting started, and we will be relentlessly pursuing uh, social justice for our littles and making sure that they not only we know they will pay us back, but they graduate, go on to college, complete college, but also have that trusted friend and counsel, that big brother or big sister at their side. And it's not just for a year, the minimum commitment. We're talking about a friend for life. So I thank you for being a part of the team that helped move this forward. Well, you know, it's funny because um, when we had the meeting under the tent, and you were um, actually giving us an opportunity to, um, to participate in this partnership. And you said, what about um, some big sisters or big brothers? You know, maybe about 20. And I think uh, you said some small number. It was like 20 or 16 or something like that. And Dr. Allen and I looked at each other, you know, and we laughed because we knew that we could double that. Um, and under the circumstances with uh, the pandemic, um, you're going to see that number grow because we do have faculty members who really believe in social justice and they believe in big brothers and big sisters. They believe in mentorship. Um, so um, this partnership is going to go on for quite some time. And I'm proud to say that. We are thrilled. Speaking of mentorship, and you certainly are such a wealth of knowledge and so down to earth and you just tell it straight. I mean, I, I knew that coming in. What is the best mentoring advice you have received? I know you've had a number of mentors and time will permit us to exhaust that list, but what's the, some of the best mentoring advice that you still use today? That's interesting because I do want to say that at one time in my past, I was a big sister. Um, All right, alumni. <laughs> and in fact, uh, one of my uh, littles, who's not little anymore. She found me on Facebook the other day. It was so shocking 
but that was a that was a positive thing. But the one thing that I have learned and I've taken to heart in terms of mentorship is um, the first thing you have to do, um, even when I'm mentoring with my faculty um, in, in a role of leadership, you have to acknowledge and respect the talents that are presented to you. Mm. Um, and we have to always be in a state of readiness to learn. Um, if we're not open to listening and learning, then we cannot be a good mentor. Um, we need to be able to, <laughs> as you say, say what you mean and mean what you say. Being authentic in a mentorship type of relationship is probably the greatest quality of building trust. And there is no mentorship if there is no trust. There is no mentorship if one cannot depend on what one says or what one is willing to do. And you have to be willing to take an extra step because that extra step may make all the difference, not only in the lives of the person that you're mentoring, but it will make the difference in your life. And we should never ever underestimate the power of love in that relationship. Speaking of love, <laughs> speaking of mentoring, speaking of commitment, authenticity, and transparency. Uh, my last question to you, my friend, and this will be the first of many conversations because you will certainly uh, be blessing our staff with some knowledge and wisdom and some of our bigs and littles and so much we will do together. What, as we celebrate Black History Month today and every day, not limited to a month, not limited to just a finite time period, but as we stand on the shoulders of so many who've come before us, uh, and for you and me to be here today, having this conversation, authentic conversation, not scripted in terms of only stay within these boundaries, but of straight up uh, conversation. And from you, where you're from, where I'm from, when I say straight up, that, that runs deep. <laughs> and Absolutely. What is your message of hope? in the space, space of social justice, in the space of mentoring, in the space of humanity for all who are willing to listen? The first thing, um, Dale, is that, and, and we know this as a reality, even when we um, try to design what we consider an ideal society, we will never rid our society of prejudices. And that should not be the focus of our energy but we can create a society that is stronger than the sum of its parts. A society where our littles can grow up strong and anticipate continuing to help build uh, a society that is just and fair. You know, we've said many times that black people are resilient, they're talented, they're strong. And the wisdom that we have from generations before us will help shape our legacy. So I employ all of the listeners and even our little ones, let us build a legacy that will resonate in the heart of those yet to be born. 
a legacy that shows that we have fought for social justice and we did not fight in vain. I urge all of the listeners and even our little ones to stand up, stand out and stand for social justice. Let us lift every voice and sing. Sing of our struggles, sing of our triumphs, sing of our ancestors and sing of the children that are yet to be born. Be who you are and better. Thank you. Well, thank you for today, our conversation and what's yet to come because a legacy is that seed planted in a garden that some folks may never see. And there's those are yet to be born, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, we have a responsibility today to make this world, you know, even stronger, even better. Uh, and so thank you, Dr. Scott, for joining me today. Privileged to know you. And I'm even more excited to work shoulder to shoulder with you as we continue uh, to celebrate excellence at every level. Thank you for joining me for this special edition of the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast and Community Conversation. Because in the Game of Life, Dr. Scott, everybody makes the team. But how well, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, big brothers and big sisters, they are fortunate to have you. Dade County is fortunate to have you. And Barry is fortunate to have you as a partner. Thank you for all that you do. I am humbled by you. Thank you, my dear. All the best to you. Take care. Bye-bye. I tried to close my show and people throw sharing some love. It kind of threw me off a little bit. What a day. Stand with us against racism, prejudice, bigotry, discrimination, racism, and justice. Today was all about celebrating the excellence that is Dr. Artis Stevens, the excellence that is Dr. Phyllis Scott our national CEO and the Dean of the Barry University School of Social Justice and and Social Work. Thanks for joining me. If you wanna get involved in Big Brothers, Big Sisters, look no further. Get involved where you live. Make a difference as a big brother or big sister. If you don't have the time to mentor and we we are doing virtual mentoring right now, you don't have time to mentor, make an impact investment to help that little boy, that little girl be everything she or he aspires to be. That's a wrap for today. We'll see you next month in March for some powerful stories, powerful impact. I'm Gail Nelson, President and CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Miami, and that's a wrap. In the game of life, everybody makes the team, but how you play is up to you. Take care.